Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Thank you guys for joining online. Uh, We're going to get started. And so let's pause and we'll pray and we'll get going. Father, we are grateful for this time, this day, this morning, an opportunity for us to gather together to interact with one another in ways that can be encouraging, strengthening, and helping us in our daily lives. Lord, we pray that we would be mindful of you in our daily lives, and whatever way that shows up and however that uh, is going to be manifested, it, it, it needs to result, Lord, in how we love one another. And so we pray that that would happen this morning and encouraged for the week ahead of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning. Uh, Just a couple of announcements. Uh, One, on Thursday nights, again, the ladies are meeting, going through Rachel Held Evans's book, The Year of Biblical Womanhood, and you are encouraged to join in with that. I hear it's been going great. Um, And also, uh, just a reminder that we are here and able to keep the cameras rolling, (laughs) the lights on, because of your giving. And so you can give at thegenesisstory.com. If you listen to this podcast, maybe you don't attend here, but you've received something from this or you listen regularly, consider helping us out by going to the website and uh, contributing so that we can continue doing what we're doing here. Um, And that's it for the announcements right now. Today I'm going to be starting a new series. I've entitled it Preach, which is so contrary to me because I'm so against those kinds of words or jargon. But it was important for me to kind of look and see what is worth proclaiming. You know, Jesus in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And that word preach means to earnestly advocate a belief or a course of action. And so I had to start asking myself, what is worth preaching? Maybe you've been involved in the past with like sales or something like that, where you had to sell something. Have you ever had to sell something you weren't really behind? right? It's like, I'm just pushing this because we have too many in stock, right? And so we want to get rid of them. Or, or maybe, maybe it's even, you know, when your kids are going to the doctor and they're going to get a shot, it's not going to hurt, you know, and you're trying to sell that to them, but you know, it, it's going to hurt. You know, they're going to cry and, you know, call you on lying to them later in life. Um, 
it's hard when you're trying to promote something that you're having a hard time getting behind. And that's how I started to feel when I would hear the word preach, especially when it was preach the gospel and what my understanding of gospel had become. It, it was something that was about having the right apologetics. It was about having a better argument than other people. Preaching the gospel was about winning. And love might have many faces, but winning is simply not one of them. And so having this idea of I've got to win the argument, I've got to get people to believe what it, I, what it is I'm believing became a dilemma for me, right? Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but the gospel I knew was no longer something that I really wanted to preach. Telling people that if they didn't accept Jesus in their heart as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would go to hell did not look like good news any longer for me or from the experience I was having. It wasn't good news to women who became second-class citizens. It wasn't good news to children whose voices were silenced. It wasn't good to anyone who had uh, an imagination or had ideas that they wanted to present to structures that were already in place. It wasn't good news to those who were opposing leadership that had become monarchs. And so it became a challenge for me. I was challenged recently by a class that I'm taking on how to communicate, to teach from your passion, right? The things that you're passionate about, those are the easy things to talk about. And I was thinking about that. What am I still passionate about when it concerns my faith? You know, I I was showing everybody a picture I had of my daughter's wedding with my daughter and my granddaughter because I was passionate about that. I mean, strangers, I would go do dog training and I would show them a picture of my wife's wedding, right? Just because this was beauty to me. This was something beautiful to me. And so I started to think, what's so beautiful about my faith that I want to share it anymore? What is it that pushes me? because of the beauty of it, because of how it captures me. Like the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah, who was having a crisis of faith, which I appreciate, many of you know, he was feeling deceived by God when he wrote in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, but I, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more his name, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. What is there left in my faith that still burns within me? And almost immediately, a passage in Genesis came to mind. And it's strange, or you might find it strange, that this passage came to mind. And I hope I can explain why why I find this passage one of the ones that I'm going to go through in the following weeks to talk about what is still a part of my faith that I feel is worth and what I want to preach. And so if you can, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And I imagine when you start thinking, what is worth preaching in faith? And you start hearing this verse, you're going to say, what the heck, Sam? What's going on here? 
Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Okay, good start. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Insert vegan joke here. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, we have to pause here because we have to acknowledge that there's a lot that we don't really know about what's going on. We don't know why the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering and not Cain's, or even what looking on favor means. And I've heard all kinds of things about what guesses are. Well, you know, Cain's offering was from the ground and it wasn't a sacrifice, but then there were grain offerings later on given. So that kind of falls apart. We, we don't get a whole lot of insight except into how Cain responded. And so we want to start looking and asking some questions to this, like, what did that mean to not have favor? Was God handing out like gold stars? Like, hey, you get a gold star, you don't. What was happening, right? What, what was happening? Somehow though, we, we have an understanding of what it's like to see someone else succeed, shine in light of you, right? To see someone else doing well and you thought you were doing good, but didn't get the recognition, didn't get the kudos, didn't get that understanding of, hey, look what you did. I really liked it too, right? Can you guys relate to that in some way? I, I, I think we can all relate to that. And so maybe that's kind of a stepping back, big picture, looking at this, just seeing that here are two brothers. One, for some reason, is in the spotlight. The other is not. And now we see the reaction in verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And again, I want to pause here because one of the places my mind goes to when I read something like this, and when we read places where the Lord is just talking to somebody, right? It's like, what the heck's going on? I mean, I wonder who's telling this story. Was there someone hiding behind a rock, listening in as God was talking, you know, to Cain? How did they get this information? Did Cain relay this information later on as he was about to leave, as we are going to see the story goes? Spoiler alert, if you don't know by now, you're, you're late to the game. I knew something was up, right? When I heard God talking with Cain and he said, why are you angry? Have you ever watched those newscasts, you know, where there was a serial killer in the neighborhood and they go to the neighbors, did you know he was a murderer? It's like, well, I had suspicion because all the windows were always covered. You know, it's like, what's going on here? How did they get this information? 
as if the Lord was just some guy who walked up to Cain and started talking. And I, I don't think most of us believe that. So then what's being conveyed here? Why is it being conveyed? And I think this is important. I, I'm not just being flippant here. I, I'm not just saying, ah, oh, ha, 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 look at this. This doesn't make sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. And as we push in further, we see in verse eight that Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, another strange conversation. And it continues in verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth and receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Before we talk about what's being said, let's again think, how did someone come to know about this information? How did this story develop and come into frame? Did Cain tell someone? Did someone put this together? And the reason I'm asking this is because I think it goes to the heart of one of the things this story is trying to convey. You know, we, we say that family is everything. Some people say that. Depends on your family, I guess. But then for us, family is everything, but we move to a different state. We see each other at holidays, right? When they said family or they thought family was everything, it's because it was everything. Your children were the ones who continued to work the land or take care of the, the animals or do whatever your trade was. If you didn't have kids, you didn't have labor. If you didn't have family, you didn't have protection from the other tribes. They were necessary for your survival. Having a big family allowed you to exist. And there was no welfare system. There was no retirement plan. If you didn't have kids, when you got old and couldn't work, you just died. That was your means. And so family was literally everything. How do you make sense when your firstborn son kills his brother, your other son? When family is so important, when this is what's supposed to be the most important thing to us to exist is now put into this scene and is taken away in this manner. God, why did this happen? I think we have here is more than just a story being told, but a pain and meaning being wrestled with. 
I think it's deep, I think it's profound, and I think it's inspired in what it's saying and what we are to interject into it. Let me ask you a question. What makes someone in the NFL upset because they only make $40 million a year? It's that someone else makes $40.3 million a year. Point three is 300000 by the way. I, I'd be happy with just a point, right? <laughs> but it is the comparison. It is the ego that's being struck saying, I'm not as valuable as them, and so it upsets them. They get angry because their ego is bruised. I think ego is at the root of comparison. I think pride is at the root of this story. C.S. Lewis, I think, said that it is pride that made the devil a devil, and it is pride that will make devils of us all. When we have this autonomous attitude in the world that we're living with, and we don't see ourselves in connection with others, but isolated. When I went through the series on the politics of Jesus, this was at the heart of that system. We, we live in a system where it's all about our autonomy. We all want our own freedoms. And in scripture, our freedoms was never seen as isolated from the collective. It was always about interacting with others. And so I wonder, what would I want my child to know. For whatever reason, which I don't think is as important as the stories trying to convey, Cain did not receive the recognition, acceptance, or appreciation that Abel did, and it consumed him to the point where he killed his brother because of it. What would I want my child to know if they were in this place? What would I want to communicate to the people I love, to the people I depend on, to the people who are being depended on by others to understand? What does a a different or a higher perspective see that the blind rage and jealousy can't? That life isn't graded on a curve. That you are not held to the same standard as your overachieving brother or as your graceful and beautiful sister. Why do you think the Disney movie Encanto is so popular? It's dealing with this, insecurity, having to measure up. The response of the Lord in this story is, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do what is right, right by what? And and here we kind of go to a big picture, right? Right by not killing your brother, right by living in this family, right by not doing something that is destructive, that is going to cause harm to others. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Wait, I thought I couldn't be accepted unless I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. That's a side note. Just throw that out there, okay? God seems to say, you can be accepted. You just got to do right by others. And maybe what God is telling us in this story is that we are each responsible for our own behavior to one another, not in comparison with one another. That how I treat you 
is more important than how I see myself in relationship to where I stand with you in that comparative way. Maybe this is actually cutting to this area of ego and this isolation mentality where we stand alone by ourselves and not as part of this family. What would happen if we thought that way? Where we didn't see ourselves as autonomous, where we weren't so concerned about getting our own freedoms, where we weren't so concerned about what we want alone, but actually took into consideration the feelings and concerns of others. That sounds familiar. It sounds like something Paul wrote. It sounds like something that this story is expressing, but in a very deep and personal way. Dang, that could actually set us free. That actually preaches. Maybe losing this perspective is when sin crouches at the door and consumes us. Maybe not seeing ourselves as part of the family, not seeing ourselves as having responsibility to others is that being consumed, is that sin. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Wow, what a picture, right? From the ground. And three times ground is mentioned in just these few verses. Now you're under the curse driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hands. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. There's some relationship between the brother's blood going into the earth and the earth not producing what it needs to. What we do in relation to one another affects more than just us. It affects creation itself. Paul would say in Romans chapter eight that all creation, is groaning, waiting for the adoption. That we are connected in ways that are mysterious. That the earth cries when something like this happens. Being at memorial services, doing them when a family member has been killed by gang violence when their son was killed by a drunk driver in a car accident or takes their life by suicide, it's devastating and there is mourning and there is grief because it seems like creation itself is crying with us. And that's the relationship between us, creation, and the creator that cannot be severed without consequence. When this happens, we become like restless wanderers, no home, no family, which is everything. Okay, Sam, so what's so good about this? (laughs) He said, what's worth preaching? What in this is so worth preaching? To me, it's how the story continues, right? Cain says, my punishment's too much. I'm going to be a restless wanderer and people are going to try to kill me. Again, another question I would ask is, what people is he talking about? And again, why we want to take these stories is maybe more than just literal events happening, but something that's conveying a truth that maybe is connected to events that happen. The story doesn't end with Cain and what he did. It ends with what God did as he marked Cain. And we'll talk about what that could mean, but it doesn't have the last word. You did this, that's it, you're out. 
The story doesn't end with that. One of the problems with having more than one child isn't the amount of love that you have for each child. It's the amount of time you have to be able to convey the love for the children. And oftentimes what happens is there is a child who is struggling, having a problem, who is struggling at school, who gets pregnant, who gets addicted to drugs, then a lot of time has to be devoted to that child because of their condition, which can look like to the other children, like you're being neglectful because you're trying to keep this kid afloat. And I only have so much time because I still got to work. I still got all these other things I got to maintain. And you feel like you're juggling all these plates trying to keep them happening. And when this one starts to waver, I got to really focus on spinning this one. And it can be a struggle where you feel like you are neglecting, and you are, you're neglecting the time with that child. This isn't that you love them more, it's that you need more love at that time. And what we see in this story is that the majority of time is spent between the Lord and Cain. Now, Abel is the one who had favor. He was the one who was doing good. He was getting A's in school. He had the favor. Cain was creative and he wasn't doing well because his imagination was taking him somewhere. Who knows what was going on, but he didn't have the favor. He required the attention and God was giving Cain the attention, even though Abel had the favor. That makes all kinds of sense to me, being a part of a family, being a parent. It, it, it resonates with me what's happening here, why this story revolves around, around the one who is having the problem. Even after he kills his brother, the conversation with God continues with Cain. There's still a concern for him. There's consequences that's why he was warned. But there's still conversation. There's still concern. God marks him not to condemn him, but to keep him from being killed. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he say, you get what you deserve, buddy. You killed your brother and I really favored him. something heartbreaking here that I can relate to as a parent. Seeing someone suffer who you care and love about because of the decisions they made when you tried to warn them not to make them, but you don't stop caring for them. You still want to protect them, but it's now fallen in a different realm. Now they're dealing with the consequences of their choices and that's heartbreaking, but you still care for them. For me, reading this passage of scripture through the lens of family and a parent has profound emotion to it. God is not giving a to-do list or else, but is in communication with the needs of the person in relationship to the community, in relationship to creation wanting what is best for both his children. He's brokenhearted because of the choices 
of one of his children, but does not stop caring. See, I I think this story reveals at the very beginning their understanding of God because of their recognition of themselves. I love it when Jesus said, if you being parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask? I think we have a knowledge about God based on our understanding of the things that we love and the things that are important and the relationships that we are in. And God is not about making us doing the right things. He's about living in harmony with the people we are in proximity with because that's health and it affects not just us, not just our family, it affects all creation. And so what a... a, a beautiful picture this small story has of the character and heart of God. And to me, that's powerful. To me, that preaches. And I want to end by asking some questions, and we can talk about it here after we're offline. What is it in your faith that is worth preaching? What is good news to you? What does it look like? Because if we lose that, and this is again challenging myself, questioning myself, you know, going through this workshop and class on communication and being challenged to teach from passion. I had to step back and say, what am I passionate about? There's so many things that I have changed over the years because I felt like they were lacking in understanding of of God and of scripture and of people. So what's left? What do I care about? And this is starting to point to one of those things. I care about a God who cares about everybody. The ones who are favored and the ones who aren't. A God who sees the importance of family and makes a family bigger. I care about those things. To me, this is the foundation of good news. There's a God who cares and wanting us to care as well. So think about those things and, and I hope you'll be challenged by them as I've been. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much more in this story to wrestle with. And that's what I love about the scripture is how it provokes, how it connects, how it challenges, how it questions or brings things to question. Lord, I pray we would not be afraid to step into that, but we would lean in with our hearts, with our experiences, and allow you to, in turn, Help us understand more. Lord, thank you again for challenging me on what's worth preaching. What about my faith is still beautiful that I want to share it with others? Lord, may it drive us to find that passion and to share what is beautiful and what is good news. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May God open our understanding to what that good news is. 
God bless you guys. Have a great day. Again, I'd like to talk with you guys here a little bit more about this. Uh, God bless you guys who are watching online. Thank you for joining us. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.